0: Welcome to the Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Davis. The Summer of Punk officially begins, but the wrestling world is buzzing about the industry's second pipe bomb. And today we look in the rearview mirror at AEW's Double or Nothing event, and we look ahead to WWE's Hell in a Cell this Sunday next on Drop the Mic. This past Sunday was AEW double or nothing. We'll get into that rear view mirror momentarily as we look back on the pay-per-view, but I would be remiss without starting this podcast talking about what everyone is talking about. Not only the wrestling industry, I'm having people who don't watch wrestling call me, text me being like, what's going on? What did I just watch? And this is obviously talking about MJF and his actions over the last week. And to fill you guys in, first it started with MJF skipping fan fest. AEW scheduled a fan fest, meet and greet. MJF skips that obligation. People have to be refunded their money, or they have to meet another star. Okay, that's the first step. Second step, MJF apparently purchases a plane ticket from Las Vegas, a direct flight to his home in Long Island. Okay, that's the second step. Now we're getting into will MJF show up for his match against Wardlow on Sunday night at AEW Double or Nothing. If not the biggest talked about match, because we did have CM Punk and Hangman Page that we'll talk about later on the show. It was definitely the second biggest match on the show. Between MJF and Wardlow, it had the longest story. This was the payoff. MJF threatening to not show up to the event. Purchase a plane ticket. There's rumors that MJF and Tony Khan had a sit-down conversation. Nobody's confirmed whether that happened or not. Some are saying that Tony Khan hasn't sat down with them, that MJF hasn't been willing. And all till 8 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday night for Double or Nothing – MJF is not sing backstage and they kick off with MJF versus Wardlow on the pay-per-view MJF songs. The first one to hit takes a few minutes and MJF walks out there. And I remember watching that pay-per-view and I'm just sitting there. This doesn't feel right. Something feels off. Something feels weird, whether it was MJF's attitude, body language, whether it was the rumors that led up to Sunday, whether it was starting with this match, because you'd expect it to be later on in the show. MJF starts the show and Wardlow comes out, felt weird to get to begin with. And MJF is squashed, which is a wrestling term, just brutalized beat down Wardlow wins pretty easily against MJF took six, seven minutes at best. And all of this is circulating around MJF's contract expiring in 2024. We're obviously summer 2022. So we're a year and a half, 18-ish months away from MJF becoming a free agent. And we've seen Cody Rhodes leave for AEW, from AEW to WWE We've seen a lot of ex-WWE guys come in and get more money than MJF reportedly, Malachi Black, Mark Henry, Big Show, CM Punk, Adam Cole. Those guys who are coming from WWE are getting paid more than MJF. That's the rumor. Obviously, I don't have anyone's paycheck. I would love somebody's paycheck, but the contract situation is what's hovering around all of this and my biggest question i get from people is is wrestling real isn't wrestling fake and to be quite honest with you this has blurred the lines of kayfabe which we would say fake or a story and a shoot which is real life making its way onto television and up until Wednesday night, I would say this was real. I don't think MJF skips the fan fest. I don't think all these rumors happen without it being real. And then Wednesday night happened. This is being referred to as the second pipe bomb in the industry with MJF coming out and just laying into Tony Khan, dropping WWE, telling Tony Khan to fire him. This this took the world by storm. I'm having non-wrestling fans text me being like, is this real? What I just watch?" And this was a very, very intense promo. And midway through, while MJF is threatening to leave a diehard fan base in AEW to go to the sports entertainment, WWE, he has fans cheering him. And I, I do the rundown for this show pretty early on in the week. So Monday or Tuesday, I kind of know what I want to talk about. And then Wednesday and Thursday, sometimes Friday happens. And that may change. But my feelings after this weekend was like, this is real. And then Wednesday night, I believe we got swerved. We bought it hook, line, and sinker. If you watch that promo from MJF, he had a live mic. He had a free mic to say whatever he wanted for television. And MJF laid into it. I believe his contract expires in 2024. I don't believe he's re-signed with AEW. And the rumors are he wants more money but doesn't want to extend his deal, which leads into he's going to join Cody Rhodes in WWE. WWE is treating Cody Rhodes really, really well to entice MJF and others to leave AEW for WWE. And this promo was cut off once he cursed, once he tell Tony Khan to fire him and we cut to commercial and there's been a video leaked it wasn't shown on television but CM Punk the new AEW world champion came out and ran MJF off and I can't help but think that this is exactly what happened several years back was it 2011 where CM Punk came out and attacked John Cena and sat on the ramp and gave the infamous pipe bomb promo saying that CM Punk felt disrespected by John Cena and Hollywood guys like The Rock and wants more respect. And he's coming for the world title because he needs it. He wants it. He deserves it. And this felt exactly like that. MJF comes out and takes the world by storm. It's a viral video now of him asking Toein Khan to fire him and wanting out of his contract. And seeing CM Punk win the AEW World Championship, it it feels like we're leading into CM Punk versus MJF for the AEW World Championship. And if this was real if this was a shoot if this was mjf really skipping on his obligations and wanting out of his contract i'm like there's no way that tony khan gives mjf a prominent title match at the next pay-per-view all out in august against cm punk and that's where it was headed i felt like whoever won between pager punk would have to face mjf because he's next in line theoretically But then I was like, oh, I don't know for sure if MJF is going to have that title opportunity. And then Wednesday happened where MJF dropped his own pipe bomb and should very well be facing CM Punk at All Out this year for the AEW World Championship. And I think that's where it's leading. But this was fantastic work by MJF to get us to all buy in, to get the world buzzing. I'm not saying wrestling world. This is the world buzzing right now because of what MJF said on Wednesday Dynamite. People were texting left and right, go watch. Have you seen this? What am I watching? And MJF, great, great mic work. But when we come back, we're going to Recap AEW Double or Nothing this past Sunday, including CM Punk winning the world title and the Summer Punk trilogy being bestowed upon us in AEW. That next on Drop the Mic. Welcome back to the Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Davis, and we covered a little bit of double or nothing in the last segment with MJF, mentioning CM Punk won the world title. But before we get into the Summer of Punk, this pay-per-view just happened to be a little too long for my liking. There's too much to cover. It was too long. I'm not going to be able to cover every match. I'm going to hit the highlights, of course, which is Summer of Punk, the trilogy, that we get in AEW now, but this was the longest pay-per-view AEW's done. This was almost five hours of just real time. I think it ended around one o'clock. It started at eight. That's ridiculous. This was a WWE-esque pay-per-view when they tried to get everybody on the show and it would be like five, six hours and they had to cut WrestleMania into two nights because of this and... Looking at the card, we just didn't need some of these matches. The Hardys versus the Young Bucks definitely could have been a dynamite match. And it took 20 minutes of time. You know, Jade Cargill versus Anna J definitely could have been on, on a rampage, even, let alone a dynamite. And that could have saved time. Kyle O'Reilly and Darby Allen came out of nowhere. If you really wanted Darby Allen on the show, then you would have had him. Be Adam Cole, or this, this these two just losing in the semifinals wasn't worthy of a pay per view match. It was a good match, had about ten minutes. It probably was the best match on the show, but didn't need to be on pay per view. Didn't make sense. American top team versus Guevara, Kaz, Ty Conti, like. Paige Van Zant having her debut in Vegas matters. I think that was a good place to do it. They could have done it on Dynamite in Vegas, but that's the only one you could maybe get away with. But if you take away those four matches, you save an hour of time. You're done in under four hours. And I just had a hard time watching that pay-per-view. Maybe it was because I was tired from work, It was just so, so long. Like, that was a lull. It was was really bad. You had Wardlow beating MJF at the start of the show, which automatically you should have started with the triple threat tag team match. That's a perfect match to get the crowd going and build the hype between is MJF going to show up? Is he not versus Wardlow? Do that later on in the show. Um, Cargill and Jay shouldn't have had that six-man tag between House of Black and Death Triangle. Really, really good. Had the right amount of time. The Owen Hart Foundation tournament finals with Adam Cole, Samoa Joe, Dr. Britt Baker, and Ruby Soho. Those had about the same amount of time. They could have added a couple more minutes, especially to Cole and Joe, but that was fine. Thunder Rosa Serena D was a really good match. If you've heard of the podcast the last few weeks, I have trash, I have trashed their promo work in terms of building this matchup. But I knew the match would deliver. And there were a few botches, so it didn't deliver to my liking, but overall, kind of still a good match. And then you had anarchy in the arena, which that anarchy in the arena match was truly insane it's exactly what we expected and you have 10 men you have 10 men in that match and everyone came away looking like a star which is fascinating you start out with Jericho Appreciation Society coming out in all white and just a code in wrestling is if somebody's wearing white in terms of a DQ or street fight, whatever the case may be. If weapons are involved and they're wearing white, they are going to bleed. And that as a wrestling fan, as a pure pro wrestling fan, I love it. I love it. I love it. That's why Ric Flair got so famous because he had the bleached blonde hair and he would bleed so well and it just make him look like a star. And that helped get Ric Flair over, as he was this, you know, flair, flamboyant robe, the nice slick back hair, rich clothes, the Rolex watch, and he would bleed and it would work. And that's exactly what Jericho Appreciation Society modeled this past Sunday with the white gear. And we see Matt Menard just bleeding from the start, getting stabbed with a fort by Moxley. And there's a a minute detail in this match that I really loved. Okay, so Jericho Appreciation Society comes out, and then one by one, Blackpool Combat Club, A. Kingston, Santana, Ortiz come down. And while Moxley's theme song is still echoing throughout the arena they're fighting and it goes into a loop and this is true anarchy like the music's still going nobody's cut it off and they're just fighting fighting throughout the arena and all of a sudden jericho pulls the plug on moxley's theme song because it would be it'd be crazy to have this match lasted about 23 24 minutes give or take It would have been crazy to hear Moxley's theme just echo throughout the arena for over 20 minutes, 25 minutes, let's say it would have gotten old. And for Jericho to add that little twist, that little detail in the storytelling of pulling the plug on Moxley's theme was fascinating. And there was always something to watch throughout the match. They timed their spots perfectly And to be honest with you, I never got bored and we never missed a spot either. The camera always caught the spot that we needed to see. And there was one time they didn't and we got on replay like immediately after. And a match that would be called Anarchy in the Arena should be like that. It was fascinating. And so where does this rank in terms of the other faction warfare matches i would say it's better than blood and guts blood and guts just reminds me of war games too much and anarchy in the arena was just its own thing i would say street fight esque but to another level and you mentioned blood and guts i believe that's where it is headed for the next chapter of jericho appreciation society versus blackpool combat club Kingston, Santana, Ortiz, this is far from over, especially after Jericho Appreciation Society won this match. So I'd say it's better than blood and guts. But I would say it's less comical than Stadium Stampede. I don't want to go as far as to say it's less entertaining because I think it's two levels of entertaining, right? I've been asked this question. Stadium stampede is entertaining because you're fighting in a football stadium. You're fighting in the Jaguars stadium, the NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars. And you can do so much with that. There's so much creativity with that, things you can't do in a typical normal match or a normal setting. So, in that way, Anarchy in the Arena is kind of less comical, less entertaining on the other hand, Anarchy in the Arena is just violence. And that was marketed up for us going into Sunday. Anarchy in the Arena was sports entertainment versus pro wrestlers. And we got that right out of the bat. And it was great for the Hills, being the sports entertainers, being Jericho Appreciation Society, winning that match over. pro wrestlers because it extends this rivalry and that's what we need jericho appreciation society the sports entertainers beat the pro wrestling at its own game that's good storytelling and i'm just saying it is fascinating that they cleaned up that ring in time for the next match because after that match we still had the three-way tag team match for the AEW world tag team titles which I'll be honest, after that Anarchy in the Arena match, I got kind of concerned we wouldn't get the uh, triple threat tag, but we did. Jurassic Express winning over Keith Lee and Swar Strickland and also Team Taz, which I didn't expect them to drop the belts in a three-way tag match, but there were a few close calls for that that I was holding my breath on. Th- this, this match, Anarchy in the Arena, was really good. And now I'm going to cover the Summer of Punk, the trilogy, if you will. We got it in Ring of Honor. We got it in WWE, as I mentioned a few moments ago, after the pipe bomb. And now we have it in AEW. And this is really cool because this was a toss-up. Do you have Hangman Page beat CM Punk? Because then he'd be I'm called Brian Danielson, CM Punk, and defend his own turf in AEW. Or do you have the headlines read on Monday, CM Punk wins the AEW World Championship? And so ironic how that happened. And they went with CM Punk, winning the world title. And this really helped Hangman's story evolve. If you remember, as Hangman continued to fail at winning the world title. He would just get so down on himself. He'd be his worst enemy. He would have better judgment and it would cost him to win. All those moments added up and that's how he lost the title against CM Punk. He almost turned heel and had that moment of, that moment to where he has to decide Am I going to turn heel? Am I going to do this? Or am I going to go about this the right way? And when you went about it the right way, CM Punk, the veteran CM Punk, capitalizes on the opportunity like he's done throughout his career. The only one probably better than CM Punk at this is Edge, who will be wrestling this Sunday at Hell Cell. We'll cover that in the next segment. And now we're back to Hangman Page being his own worst enemy and having to overcome this mental challenge and trying to get back to the top, which I believe he will eventually, but now it's CM Punk's time to shine. And let's be honest, CM Punk did this the right way. CM Punk did it the right way. He didn't shoot straight for the main event scene when he came in August. He worked his way up. He, he wrestled nobodies. He wrestled just anyone on the roster First time matchups against younger guys. He wrestled FTR. Like he's done all this little stuff to wrestle whoever and to wrestle weekly as well. And you don't see that from main part timers today. And let's be honest, this is a ratings grab. The 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 headline reading CM Punk wins the AEW World Championship. We mentioned it last week on the show. That's a ratings grab, and he grabs ratings. Every pay-per-view that he's been on, as opposed to the year before, like double or nothing this year had better ratings than the one last year. AW Revolution, same thing. AW All Out is where CM Punk made his debut last year, same thing, had better reviews than 2020. So CM Punk gets ratings, and with Tony Khan wanting to establish a million viewers. CM Punk winning the world title is where you go with it and this is going to be the summer of punk this is going to be CM Punk holding the world title what's next it's going to be MJF I am convinced after Wednesday that is MJF MJF following in CM Punk's footsteps we're going to rekindle this rivalry which I'm okay with that was a great rivalry one of the best of MJF and CM Punk's career, if not the best rivalry I've ever seen from either one of them. We're going to get that all out. MJF's going to end the summer of Punk and become AEW world champion. So we'll get a few months of CM Punk. He's going to be that transitional champion, but he's going to serve a purpose and he's earned it. He's deserved it. And this was a major slap in the face to Vince McMahon who stole Cody Rhodes so Tony Khan's going to flaunt the signing of CM Punk in Vince McMahon's face and show off CM Punk as the world champion. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Hell in a Cell. That is this Sunday. We have Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins, the trilogy of, a, of WWE's Inside Hell in a Cell. We're going to talk about that and more next on Drop the Mic. Welcome back to Drop the Mic. I'm your host, Michael Davis, and we have Hell in a Cell this Sunday. This is a great week for wrestling, having double or nothing. Last weekend, we have Hell in a Cell this weekend, and we just have to talk about... This episode is dropped on Friday, so we haven't seen SmackDown yet. SmackDown is tonight at 8 o'clock, but looking at the card, there are no SmackDown matches as of now. I mean, this shows a complete lack of stories on SmackDown. We don't have Roman Reigns on the show. Roman Reigns taking this pay-per-view off. He'll probably be back for money in the bank. He'll definitely be wrestling at SummerSlam, particularly against Riddle, Randy Orton, maybe Drew McIntyre in the UK pay-per-view. Are you telling me there's no SmackDown matches worthy of a pay-per-view match? What about the Intercontinental title? I think this is the fourth or fifth episode I've mentioned. The Intercontinental championship means absolutely nothing right now. It has not been defended on pay-per-view since last year's WrestleMania. And I'm thankful that we get at least the United States championship defended on pay-per-view the first time since Extreme Rules last year. It's going to be Theory versus Mustafa Ali, and... This is an obvious one to call. Theory wins this by a mile. Ali obviously took a lot of time off, frustrated with the creative erection from WWE, and this is going to be where they embarrass Ali on the main stage to promote Theory. I don't see Ali winning this match. I would be shocked. And speaking of shock, I know that Ezekiel, not Elias, let's get this clear, Ezekiel, is going to wrestle Kevin Owens, and to make this rivalry even better, the first showdown between Ezekiel and Kevin Owens, Ezekiel needs an upset victory. I'm not saying Ezekiel needs to win clean. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Ezekiel needs a roll-up pin on Kevin Owens. As Owens goes for the pop-up powerbomb, Ezekiel rolls him up, gets a quick three, Owens' jaw drops, as well as everyone else, and Ezekiel has a win over Kevin Owens. That's what needs to happen for this match, and if they don't deliver that, I'll be pretty upset. (laughs) But what we do have is we don't have Lashley versus Omos, so that's a pat on the back, WWE, for not repeating that match. But we do have Lashley versus Omos and MVP, And if you recall, Lashley versus Omos at WrestleMania didn't have MVP. MVP returns the next night and turns on Lashley to side with Omos. And then Omos picks up the victory at Backlash with MVP's help. They've they've actually done really well with this story. I'm not really interested in the in-ring work of Omos. He's just not there yet. He definitely needs MVP in his corner, which is a really good pairing. But the real beef is between Lashley and MVP. So throw in MVP, who can wrestle in this match, a handicap match, so he's not going to have to carry it all on his shoulders. He's, he's past that point in his career. And this would be a good way for Lashley to pin MVP in the match and both Lashley and Omos come away looking really strong. Omos cannot eat the pin against Bobby Lashley with MVP in his corner or on the apron in this case. And Bobby Lashley, if he gets pinned by Omos or MVP, he comes away looking like the loser in this feud and can't really build anything off of that. So it'd be really cool to see Lashley beat MVP. And perhaps Lashley goes after the United States title. If Lashley were to beat Theory for United States title, that doesn't make Theory look weak. And that might start to bring a little prestige back to the United States title. So Lashley pins MVP in the handicap match. And this will be the final chapter, hopefully, please, in the Lashley and Omos feud. But we have three men in that match. We'll have three women in this next match with Bianca Belair defending her title against Becky Lynch and the Empress of Tomorrow, Asuka. So Bianca Belair obviously just went at WrestleMania. I don't think she loses it. I don't think she should, not in a triple threat way, unless it was some shaky business trying to get Becky a cheap win. But I feel like Bianca Belair can win the match and have her pin Becky Lynch and somehow start a Lynch and Asuka feud or maybe you could even start a Belair and Asuka feud because if Becky eats the pin and loses the match Asuka never got her one-on-one opportunity like she deserved she earned so we have Bianca Belair versus Asuka who's the hill in that I don't know the fans are kind of behind Asuka and have been they're behind Bianca Belair still as well so I feel like you could just branch off into Becky Lynch versus Asuka. That story's written there from when Becky Lynch left, was this two years ago and became a mom and handed the title to Asuka. I feel like you can continue something with Becky and Asuka and have Bianca Belair face the billion people on the Monday Night Raw women's roster. Maybe Rhea Ripley. And speaking of Judgment Day, Edge, Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley are in a six-person tag team match versus Finn Bálor, AJ Styles and Liv Morgan. This all started This all started with Edge issuing an open challenge for WrestleMania, AJ Styles accepting and then Edge turning heel and one by one he's recruited Damian Priest, he's recruited Rhea Ripley. I find it very interesting the people who are rumored for Edge's opponent at WrestleMania this past year are all in this match and are all working with or against Edge. You have Damian Priest, you have AJ Styles who ended up wrestling Edge at WrestleMania and you have Finn Balor. And there has been constant rumors about a fourth person. Apparently it was originally going to be Harland who was released from NXT but who is that fourth man? And I've been saying Tommaso Ciampa. Tommaso Ciampa's been my pick for the fourth for a long time. But it feels to me like there's going to be a swerve. There's going to be a NWO-like swerve with Baller joining Judgment Day. The same thing happened with Hulk Hogan joining Razor Ramon and Kevin Nash, Razor Scott Hall, and uh, NWO. And I feel like if Finn Balor can turn on AJ Styles and join Judgment Day, that's going to leave everyone speechless. I personally prefer Tommaso Champa. Champa really needs something to sink his teeth into. But it, it's leaning more towards Balor at this point. And no matter what happens, we're going to get the fourth member and Judgment Day will win regardless which leads me to the final match, which will main event Hell in a Cell. It's Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins 3 inside Hell in a Cell. And speaking of pipe bombs this week, Seth Rollins finally dropped the line that I've been wanting him to drop the last two to three months against Cody Rhodes, referencing AEW, referencing Cody Rhodes taking the sledgehammer to the throne. That was classic. If MJF didn't drop his promo, that's probably the promo people are talking about now. So, kudos to MJF for you know, getting one over on WWE. Cody has to win, right? Like, I don't see Cody losing this match unless someone enters the sale, which we've seen before. Kane's done it. Brock Lesnar's, like, everyone's done it at this point. The Hell in a Cell doesn't keep people out people find a way into the cell that could cost Cody Rhodes the match. And that could start Cody Rhodes in a new program, but that would give Seth Rollins the win rather than getting swept. Cause it looks kind of weak for Rollins to get swept by Cody Rhodes for three straight pay-per-views. He'll do it. Seth is a great worker, but it looks a little weak. It continues to keep Cody looking strong. And I see that Rhodes-Rollins feud ending for now. Like, this has to be the final chapter inside Hell in a Cell. Uh, My gut says Cody, and I don't know who you could throw into the Hell in a Cell to make it make sense for them to attack Cody Rhodes. But WWE sometimes doesn't make sense, and that's okay because hopefully I'm just entertained by Hell in a Cell. Maybe we get a SmackDown match tonight on Friday night, SmackDown. But this will be something I'm looking forward to on Sunday with Hell in a Cell, Roge Rollins, the trilogy. We get this trilogy of Summer of Punk, thanks to seeing Punk win the AEW World's Championship. And that is all I have for you today on the show on Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll get to talk with you next week. Be sure to follow our social media accounts on Facebook and on Instagram. And this has been Drop the Mic Wrestling Podcast.